everybody, welcome to the Pooch and Raybold, episode 29. I'm Ken Pooch Van Druden, and that is... This is Chris Raybold. What's going on, well, everybody? How's everybody doing out there in this uh, still crazy world gone mad? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't stop. It keeps getting... It mad. really doesn't. The hole keeps getting d- deeper, but um, there is some stuff happening, right? Like, you're, you're about to go do a gig. That's exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, and I'm also, we'll talk about it after I've done it and everything. Okay, gone well. cool. You know I mean? cool, cool, cool. And, and I hope everybody hears, hears me say that. I enter it with nothing but confidence, but I do. I'm like, I still got to go perform, you know? So yeah, it's, uh, it's a broadcast thing. It's, okay, cool. It's yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, you're more, you know, you get to work on a console and, and work on some audio. So, you know, that's more than what I'm getting to do these days. Um, I, I hear you. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Cool. Uh, it's funny. I just talked to a friend of mine um, who just got back from Sturgis. Oh, uh, I know. I saw that. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, one of the mixers out there. Um, and he actually said that like the Sturgis people or the, the uh, what's that place called? The Buffalo Chip people. Um, we're actually doing everything that they could and trying to follow all the CDC guidelines. Like they were driving mixers to front of house so that they didn't have to walk through the crowd. That's cool. Um, and as far as stagehands go, they were kind of socially distancing and only having, you know, a limited amount of them. And, mm-hmm. um, so he said they, they, they were doing everything that they could, um, to try to, you know, stay within the the CDC guidelines. And so I thought that was promising. Yeah. It's um, encouraging. Yeah. I saw it at the show in the UK too. Did you see that where they kind of no. had people, there was some show with like a real, like a festival. I just glanced at it on social media. It looked like a real stage festival type scenario. And then somehow they had people cordoned off in little boxes and. Oh, you know exactly. what? I did see that. I did see that. Yeah. yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's put everyone in a little box. That's so. I easy. know. I mean, but you see these places in the world where it's like, they're at least pulling that off. Exactly. Know? Yeah. There, I mean, there's hope, you know, I, I think it's exciting that they're at least trying, you know what yeah. I mean? Totally. Um, so hopefully that'll lead us to a path of working and, um, and I'm sure that, um, we'll probably have some broadcasting opportunities like what you're getting to do this week. Um, hopefully, uh, yeah. coming up. So keep your heads up guys out there. Keep moving. Um, you know, uh, we're going to get through this. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's, that's my whole point about all that. True. Very true. Um, so, um, you know, before we started today, we, we were kind of talking offline. I had just, um, I, I think this is a couple of weeks ago, maybe even, or a week ago at least, uh, Andrew Sheps and Jack Joseph Puig had a live Facebook thing um, for this peermix.net, I think it is. Um, anyway, um, it was four hours of those two uh, talking, which by the way, um, both of those, I feel like those two guys are the most influential on myself, uh, living engineers, <laughs> modern, modern era, <laughs> uh, modern era engineers, living engineers that are still doing it and making records. Those two guys, Andrew Sheps and, and Jack Joseph Puig are, are my favorite to learn from and to, you know, um, gain knowledge, um, so I was excited to have a four hour thing, you know, to be able to watch and, and check them out. And, and if you, uh, if you have some time, you guys should go watch that. It's very interesting. But some of the things that they were talking about, um, were, were really interesting and you guys, you and I were kind of chatting about them offline. Um, so I don't know, where do you want to start? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to verbalize the inspiration, but it seems like uh, it's it's gonna we're gonna talk about how we set the scene musically with a mix, it, but we we should start by how do we do that, you know, in theory in our heads before we even touch a fader, before we bring an input into the console. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. 
but the, the impetus for this was they were kind of talking about meeting the expectations of the artist, but then also juggling some of the inevitable, maybe insecurities of the artist or, you know, some of the real world factors that, that will play into how you think about building your mix. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's absolutely it. And, you know, a big part of this um, in their discussion, and rightly so, I think we should be discussing about is people get lost in the gear. You know, um, Jack Joseph Puig is now, especially now, but Jack Joseph Puig is known worldwide for this amazing couple of rooms that he owns where it's, you know, all this huge amazing millions of dollars worth of analog gear and all that kind of shit. And basically he was sitting there saying, guys, it's not about the gear, man. It has nothing to do with the gear. It's about getting across the emotion of um, the artist and, and creating a, a safe space for that artist to work in so that they can um, musically get that stuff across. So I think it's interesting that he's talking about we all get lost in, you know, what plugins are you using? You know, what, um, you know, what's your favorite console? What's, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I I think we don't talk enough about the emotional part of this and, and how you and I, I mean, I spend a great deal of time trying not to think about my gear and how to get the emotion of an artist across. Um, and I know that you do too. You've spoken about this before um, where um, you, uh, y- before you've said how you feed off the crowd and emotionally mix that way. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like what, how is yeah. that for you? Yeah. Yeah. There are two, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day. There are two, the two things that drive me the strongest, the two metrics sets of checks and balances that I have in my head at all times. One is the unrealistically high set of expectations that I place on myself that I have cautioned everyone about. And I have my own bar, right? And it's set at a certain point. That's the first one. And it's based on memories. It's based on experience. It's based on expectations. And then the second is literally feeling and looking around the room. And that too is built on those same things. It's built on years and years and years and years and years of sitting in crowds of all different sizes and noticing the things that I do, how they literally make people move, like literally how their bodies move, you know? Um, And that is how, that's how I judge how I'm doing, you know? Those, those two things. Um, and then I guess if really now that we're talking about it, if I succeed in both of those, I then feel very encouraged at what the artist is seeing. And that I get off on that too. It like, Oh, they know that they don't, I mean, not, not that they're thinking consciously, Chris no, is really doing it tonight, but <laughs> no, they, no, no, no. They, they know yeah. that it's happening and a, that makes them perform better. And then B, it just bodes well for me when it comes up in conversation, you know, and that's how with what those guys were talking about and dealing with an artist and expressing the emotion and the intent with the artist. If you can deliver for an artist in that way, that artist, particularly when, as they get bigger in stature or help, there's rock stars that play for three people that are the biggest egomaniacs in the world. They will drop some of that guard with you because they trust you. And then you can sort of push past where a lot of people would usually go with them and you can kind of, you can be frank with them and you can be honest with them. And I was thinking to myself the other day of all the things I miss, which is just a loud kick and snare in my chest and (laughs) a crowd and all these things. I miss those little wins with artists too. When I'm like, you know, when I'm, when you can like level with them and be honest with them in a way that people usually don't because they trust you. Like that's a good, good, good feeling. So, um, yeah, that's how I judge the, like the, that's how I judge my value, um, in, in, in on a nightly basis are, are those things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that, um, I, I think that we have the luxury of, you know, having rehearsals, um, and having connection with an artist that could come in and listen to stuff 
um, you know, while we're doing rehearsals, you know, in fact, I invite that all the time. I'm like, you know, whatever artist it is, I'm like, Hey, come in, listen so that we can talk about it. And what I find very interesting about that is 99.9% of the time, they don't give a shit how you got there. They're just listening to see whether or not you made that emotional connection, whether your mix is translating that emotion um, and, and getting the, uh, the emotion that they're trying to get across from their song. But they don't care what gear you have. I mean, even Probably. guys like, I mean, I know Bruno's like really hip to stuff like that, right? Like he knows the yeah. gear. He knows what's he, hip and he knows, he knows what's good. He knows the visual. And I've talked about it on here before. I like, that's one of the reasons I still use Pro Tools is I like, I know they've, and to me though, it's like, not because I expect an artist to come in and go, oh, cool, you're on ultimate sick. Like, yeah. I expect, but I know, I know they're going to come in and be like, subconsciously, I've been here before. I feel comfortable here. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. But right, yeah, right. but no, no one gives a fuck how you got there. I know. You know. So that's what I always tell people. It's like, don't get lost in this. Now, um, something that I want to travel down a rabbit hole here in a minute um, that is really interesting. But, but before we get there, let's talk a little bit about how important balance is in all of that. I think we've talked about balance before, but one of the things they were also discussing in this um, thing um, that I thought that we should point out too is like how many times during a rehearsal period, let's say, where you've got a song going on and your mix is happening and you're like, man, it's just something's not it's not right. Something's not right. And you pull all your faders down and like start again to create balance. Do you do that? Oh yeah. Often. I do it all the time. I, you know, in when something isn't working, I don't start soloing things up. I mm-hmm. don't start reaching for EQ. I don't start reaching for reverbs. I don't do whatever. I go, you know what? None of this is working. A hundred okay. faders all the way down. And let's start again. Yep. And, um, you know, then I start balancing a drum kit by itself and getting it balanced. So then it's, it's being controlled by a single fader, but it's balance is all correct again. And then the same thing with a bass guitar, with a guitar and and so on. Um, so I, I just don't, I, I can't stress enough how much balance is important. And if you are struggling in a mix, um, then, um, to me, it's like ballots will help you get so much further than like trying to figure out what compressor or plugin you should put on that stuff. Um, totally. do you have any, any other part of balance that you do that? that yeah. Is oh, yeah. I, gotta, I feel like we can go for a while on this one. I, <clears throat> you know, with balance, it's interesting because we are mixing live sound and because there is a physical component to live sound, one could argue there's a physical component uh, in, in all aspects of audio, you know, just turn it up loud enough. But for us, there is the SPLs we mix, there's a physical component. So what I'm saying with that is I do start with the drums, but the drums don't really become clear to me until they have reached some threshold of a physical line. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like they have, so like that's why grabbing that drums, like I keep all of my drums on one VCA, you know, whenever I pull it down, it throws the balance off. Even if the shit needs to be quieter, it's because it loses the physical component and that's part of our balance. So I always, I have to start where the physicality is, which is in the drums. Um, so I'll do the same thing, man. I'll pull everything down. I'm really bad too. If it's a show, I'm going to be dead honest here. If it's a show and no one's listening to the board tape and I think I can get away with it for a minute, I will take three guitar VCAs and mute them for a second in the middle of the fucking show. Cause I know no one's asking for their money back. If it's like during a verse, the vocals still, I'll be like, fuck it. I knew it. That's where the problem, you know what I mean? Like I'll cool. do that. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm being honest. If someone's listening, I won't do that. 
But um, I will do that because I know I'll get away with it in life. Yeah, but on. I mean, it's it's just a moment in time. It's not like it's we're muting it for the moment. entire song. It's like right. we're just, you know, I, I can't tell you, and you've you've done that. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I I, no, I, love to go. I, I can't tell you how many times where, yeah, and we do this all the time, and it's part of what makes someone a good mixer is constantly reevaluating. And yes. during the show, I constantly reevaluate what my balance is. I mean, let's not forget that balance is also EQ, right? Like oh, volume, totally. volume and balance. EQ is just adding more high end or less low end, you know, whatever. Those are all amplitude things. That's know? right. It's the, right. those are all amplitude things. Um, so my, you know, if I really boil down to what I'm doing as a mixer for most of the time, it's evaluating my balance. Um, And, and sometimes when it's just not working and it happens a lot, I'll be in the middle of a show just going, fuck, I don't know what is wrong. Um, And it sucks when you've been doing it for a year. Yeah. And it's the same song and it's the same spot and you tried everything and you're just like, a lot of times it's not reevaluating. It's just like reaffirming. Like, I yes. know what it is. It's this one track, and you'll dip it. You just, just pull it for a second. You're like, I know it. Oh, but I but have to, you know what I mean? It has to be there. It has to be, has there. To be like, there. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's this reevaluation of, of balance. Um, yeah. You know, well, and to, and to continue the thought, you know, as you – I do the same thing is what I'm saying. I'll, I'll, I'll just – I'll start over. I'll scrap it. Uh, and, and, you know, and I'll just – I'll pull those drums up to anchor them in a place. And, of course, I'm also looking at headroom because I'm thinking I got a lot of other things coming. That's where are we going with this? And then I do that. I just, it always starts with the rhythm section for me. Actually, I, I think I've mentioned it on here too. Now, if I have full tracks, I'll, I'll, like nothing's really mixed yet. I'll turn the bass on and just pull it up. It's some arbitrary level, just so I'm not listening to just kick drum. Of course I will, but I, I need to give it some reference and that'll keep you from digging too deep into the inputs. But yeah, it's, it starts with the rhythm section, drums, bass. And then I just, I'm just pushing things to where, you know, to where I want them. And again, because in live sound, because we've got these things working against, it's like signal to noise, which again, guys, we're talking about crowd to audible level of, you know, we've got this tiny window. We're, we're at larger SPLs. Uh, there's all these things that where you kind of have this small window where to put stuff where I'll just kind of, just start moving the furniture around a little bit, you know, and that's before we get to the vocal. Totally. And that, that's where the real talk about trying to figure out what people want. I've noticed if anything, vocals I feel are getting lower in live mixes with artists that are really paying attention because if it's a live vocal and I mean a real live vocal and it's not tuned and even if it is tuned, you can't melodyne it live. It, people are used to perfect vocals now, and we I cannot know. deliver a perfect vocal. And so those, you know, whereas if anything, I'll mix vocals too loud, you know, uh, because that's a major win and it just seems right. But like now, man, I feel vocals are kind of coming in because they, they you just can't, somebody's like, I can, I'm sure you can, but we can't <laughs> deliver that. Yeah. Wow. We can still deliver a stellar vocal, but as far as the tuning and all that level of polish. And so it's artists are kind of asking me more and more now, like no, pull that, even a confident vocalist, like just pull that, pull that down a little bit. You know, it's funny that you say that because I, I hate that. I want my vocal to be super loud and proud. Um, and then as a mixer, you want that. That's a yes. big win. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, people are paying, you know, I don't care if it's a band. They're coming to hear the words and hear every nuance of the vocal. To me, the vocal is the most important input. It doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's the Rolling Stones and people love, uh, you know, what Ron Wood is doing. He right. doesn't matter like Mick matters. You know what I mean? It's like, um, and, and so I tend to, I'm like you, I tend to mix vocals probably louder than I should I don't know if I'm going to say that, but I mix them loud. They need to be loud and proud. They need to be there. And so that trend that you're talking about, I, I, I'm getting it too. And it's, it's, I think it sucks. I think that, um, you should try to convince your artist, uh, 
um, that it's okay to have a little bit of flaws, that it, right. it's okay to not be exactly the record, you know? Um, yep. but, it's, been, um, it's the newer artists that have grown accustomed to the perfect vocal yeah. that are struggling with that more. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times they can't verbalize what it is. In fact, I've had some people where I can tell like they're, they're sort of unhappy with, I can tell they're unhappy with something with the vocal, but they can't, can't verbalize it. I'm like, yeah. I know exactly what it is. It's not, <laughs> you know, yeah, totally, uh, totally. So, but, but a lot of times an older artist, like they're, they're okay with the imperfections, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, back to balance just a little bit, because I, there's an interesting story that Jack told um, that I thought was really telling, you know, one of his mentors was Glenn Johns. And, and if you don't know anything about Glenn Johns, you should go, research because that dude has made amazing records um which i i really found um it, it made my heart warm because actually when i went to college the one of our uh projects was to study a specific producer pick your favorite producer and talk about all the things that he's done and one of my ones that i chose was glenn john so i was like oh uh, not only do i love jack job. but i love the guy <laughs> yeah. that he loves you know what i mean That's so so that was really cool. But um, what he told me a story, what he told was a story about Glenn Johns working with uh, a band. And I think it was the Rolling Stones. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, it was a you know really well-known act. Um, they had, he had been, you know, getting his everything together and been working on this mix for a long period of time. Um, and finally the band came in and started listening to the mix and one of the band members' comments was, um, hey, this sounds amazing, but can we just turn the bass up just a little bit? Just turn the bass up a little bit. And he reached and pulled every fader back to zero, all of them. And the band went, whoa, wait a minute, dude, that sounded amazing. Like, what are you doing? Why, why did you just ruin your mix? And he mm -hmm. said, because you can't just turn up the bass. You have to rebalance everything. Right. Yeah, your house. Base. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's super telling of like what balance, how balance is important and what, what it means. That should tell you that it's not about just turning things up and down and, and um, you know, there's this weird trend, man. Have you seen this where people claim that they can get balance um, without even listening, like using an analyzer, and being oh, wow. like, I can, I can balance a mix without even having the speakers on. And I'm just like, uh, what are you talking about? That, that is like not like, the, like looking at the mix. Yeah. Like a, like a spectrum, spectrum analyzer, spectrum analyzer okay. and like, and I was just like, what are you talking? And literally this is the thing, like, believe it or not, there's people, it's more of a studio thing, not a, you know, obviously yeah, not a live thing. Sure. But, there are sure. people that argue that they can do that. And I just go, you know what? Balance is, is not numbers. It's not yeah. looking at an RTA and, you know, it's about your hearing and about, you know, people don't realize, people don't realize like how much resolution the human ear has. Like, mm -hmm. think about it. It's the only sense that is 3D. Our mm -hmm. eyes only have this much space. Like I can't see behind me right now, but our ears can hear shit behind us. So it is a super, it's a super sense. It is something that has, um, you know, placement of depth and height and uh, 360 degrees spatial recognition about where things are. Um, so nothing can replace your ears um, especially when we're talking about, you know, building a mix using ballots. Um, and that. well, and that's what the joke too, about the notion that you could just, you know, look at a spectrum analyzer and come up with a mix because what we're talking about is summation across the board. It's summation. Like I tell somebody asked me recently, they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I've started using this analogy a lot. I'm like, I cook, you know, you give me the ingredients and I cook. And at a certain point, if you've put too much salt in, it throws everything off, you know? And so, and that's what you're saying. Once you've turned the base up a little, now all the relative balances are thrown off. And I, and I've mentioned on here too, that I, 
you know, I struggle. I was practicing the other night and I noticed and I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, I start listening to the hi-hat or something. And next thing you know, guess what the mix is all about is the hi-hat. And it's yes. like, you know, and as soon as I start focusing on it and that's when shit just starts creeping up louder and louder and louder and boom, you're clipping. Um, as soon as you turn one thing up, you got to turn the other one up. You got to yep. turn this, you got, and that's, and that's, and I thought that's what you're going to say is instead of turning the bass up, he just turned everything down a little. He went far further than that. Way further than that. He <laughs> said, I have to rebalance all of it now. If you want the bass louder, then we have to fix all of it. And, and he's right. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the other part of this that I always tell people is uh, something that you just touched on about the, you know, all of a sudden your mix is all about hi-hat. Um, get perspective. Like I... Um, certainly during rehearsals, um, walk away from a mix a lot mm -hmm. and, t and force myself to take breaks. And the reason that I do that is I know if I take a five minute break away from something that I've been chipping away at for five hours, you know what I mean? I've just been chipping away, working, 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 working. And if I go get a coffee for five minutes and come back, the first 15 seconds of listening to that, I know exactly what's wrong with it. It yep. took that time to get away from it for mm -hmm. a minute. Had I kept working and not taken that five-minute break and gotten perspective, I think I'd still be digging myself a hole, right? And those breaks are hard because, you know, you tell yourself, you're like, step away, just step away. And I don't know about you, but me, the whole time in my head, I'm just like, can I go? Can I go back? Can I go yeah. back? Can I go back? <laughs> Sometimes what I'll do is if I'm, if it's rehearsals, I usually have two listening levels. I have like loud and then I have this quieter where I kind of get perspective. Yes. And those are my yeah. main two. And usually what I'll do is sometimes I'll leave it. I'll take it to that bottom one and just loop it, hit play and leave. So I walk in, not just with perspective with hands on the desk, but walking into the room. Oh, that's interesting. I've never done that. That's great. Yeah, I do that. And it, oftentimes it makes me feel a little bit better, really. Some guy asked me recently, hit me, sent a message or something like that. Uh, somebody I've been working with and he was talking about this phenomenon. And he's like, do you walk? Do you, what do you do? And like, I don't walk the room or anything, but I do just take a couple steps back. Just take your fucking yes. hands off the desk. Because there's something about when they're on there, you're in like scientist mode a lot of times and you're just analytically picking things out. When you let go, you're forced into listening to music mode. You know, those I breaks are super yeah, important. Totally important. Um, I do exactly what you say. I'm not the guy that walks the room either, but I do purposely walk out of the sweet spot of the stereo right. sweet spot. I walk out of that um, to see what happens to my, uh, where I've placed things. Remember, we've talked a lot it's, about how I'm, I'm grinning. Sorry. Cause that can be a <laughs> shocking. Oh man. Three steps to your left. Like what have I been doing? You know, <laughs> because we, you know, we, we emphasize a lot about how placement and depth and height and, you know, all yeah. of these things are important in your mix and they are the most crucial when you're in the sweet spot of the stereo thing coming at you. But unfortunately, you know, only 5% of the crowd is in that sweet spot all the way to the front. Um, yes. So, you know, of course, speaker technology is pretty great these days. So the shift of the stereo spectrum is, is pretty good when you're walking left to right. But it's not just like the sweet spot. So um, I, I do on purpose, you know, and if you guys don't do this, you need to get up and walk. Just walk outside of the front of house barricade. You know what I mean? Yep. And be like, huh. So when I'm over on the right-hand side, all my stuff on the left-hand side is not really coming through as I thought it would, you know? Right. Um, and then that kind of changes my perspective of things too. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, one of the other things that they were talking about, which is a really like rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> I think is, um, okay, so Jack has this whole thing and this is a long conversation. He can you can go look online and see where he talks about this, but what he talks about is compression being a time changing tool. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, I'm so into this and I don't even know exactly where this is going. But I'll <laughs> it's exactly really I mean. interesting. His, his, um, 
All right, the the uh, the Fisher Price version of this is basically you can change the feel of a rhythm section by deciding where your attack and release is in compression, right? You can physically, he, he gives an example of this. So, um, you know, for years people had to play uh, before Pro Tools existed and the, and the feel of a bass player being behind a drummer's feel, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, was, was kind of what made a lot of those records be great. Well, then Pro Tools comes along and everybody starts lining up everything on a grid and it changes, totally changes completely the feel of everything. So then people started to say, okay, well, now we're just going to take, you know, a a track of a bass guitar and shift it just a little bit just to get Mm -hmm. that feel back. You know, it was all lined up on the grid. Now we're going to move it a little bit, whatever. Um, But his argument is is that... um, a better way to do this, obviously, you know, is leave the shit alone and don't grid everything up um, mm-hmm. if you've got good, good players. But if you don't have good players and they, and they have to get kind of, you know, lined up, his, um, his solution to that is choosing um, the right compression for different instruments um, wow. and the, the right amount of attack time and release time in order to force the time tangent to be a little bit different, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I'll let you speak to this, and then I'll talk about it a little bit too, how, like, I can't stress enough, if you don't know what we're talking about right now, like, go get either a plug-in or the Start real thing mm-hmm. and, and put an 1176, for example, or the CLA 76 or whatever, Put, put the 1176 on all kinds of things, snare drum, mm-hmm. bass guitar, vocal, um, and leave the ratio the same, mm-hmm. but adjust the attack time and the release time on different instruments and see how much that changes your world. Just yep. the adjustment of attack and release on an 1176 with the same ratio can take a single input and completely change it in time and in sound and in, you know, all kinds of things. So basically what he's stressing is that um, you can really kind of make a feel happen by messing around with compression. Um, So talk to that a little bit. Yeah. And I'm chomping at the bit on this one because this is like, I've said before, you know, I I use a lot of effects, but I'm not an effects guy. I'm a dynamics processor guy. Me too. I mean, that's where my shit is, you know? And, um, God, I could go on forever about this, but as you were talking, you know, I'm thinking you can't, well, it's funny. So I mentioned I have this broadcast thing coming up and uh, I'm making a show file for it right. and I'm dropping in all of these. I'm just making presets within, I'll just tell you, it's on a, what is a quantum SD seven? What do we call that now? Quantum seven. Quantum seven. There's no quantum SD seven. part of that. It's a Q no seven. I'm, 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 I'm making all of these presets for the internal shit, but then I'm also going to use waves. I'm going to get a little slutty, but um, I'm making all of these presets because I want to have them in my back pocket. And guys, I am making presets. Like I can look at these things and I just, I've done it long enough where I know what I want the attack and release to be. And sometimes it's only a couple milliseconds difference on the attack and maybe a hundred or 200 milliseconds difference on the release. Like that's how important it is. That's also what I now know. Now I reserve the right to be wrong and I reserve the right to tweak. But when you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, you can change the, the sonic structure of something with compression. You can change the, essentially the time domain. You can take, guys, take a snare drum. Give a, give a liberal, take a liberal attack time. And if it gives you a numeric value, go to like 10 milliseconds. So it gets transient gets through, you know, and you'll notice. And now that I say that, I know that the Avid defaults to 10 milliseconds. I think Digica, there's a reason you see that 10 millisecond up. It's basically like not committing. Like you're letting some shit by, but not a ton. So start somewhere around there. Take that release, go down to like 50 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds. And then as you, re- as you lengthen that release, that drum seemingly gets deeper. 
Yes. Then you'll get to the point where you're smothering it and the next hit doesn't work, you know, but you know what I'm talking about? You, totally can, lengthen, you can lengthen the size seemingly of, of these instruments. Um, that's exactly, that's exactly right. Yep. That's right. And then so on, and on bass, you know, I love things that are, I love precision. I don't like gridded out stuff. Fortunately, we can't do that live, you know, but um, I, I like, you know, I like release times that are just long enough to do what it needs to, then come back in time. But like, if you take a LA two a man, once that thing gets into compression, it just hits this wave of gooiness. I don't know what the fuck it's doing. And it's like, it's a two stage release apparently where there's actually two different time constants that determine the release. You can't select shit on that one. But as much as I love like a band where I'm going with this is I was playing the other night and as much, and I was going between like an 1176 LA 2A and then some other stuff. And as much as I love the precision I can get out of the 1176 on the release, even if it's like a slappy poppy thing where it needs to be a quick release, there's something that happens once it gets into, and that's why vintage gear is so revered. There's just this magic when it's living in this thing and it just creates this, it might not be technically right, but it creates this sound and this vibe and it can sit things in a mix in a really totally. wonderful way. You know, and same totally thing with it. the vocal, definitely do it. You know, those quicker release times are very popular nowadays because they're very in your face. Quicker release times make things very, the attack matters greatly too, but the quicker release time, which it just makes it more present, the longer kind of sits it back. But yes, yeah, sit there with the vocal and just pull it back and see how the vocal sits versus jumps and, there's so many different ways you, you can do things. Acoustic guitars, you can lengthen them and make them chunkier. You can make them spikier or, you know, there's so many different things you can do with this. And that, what we're talking about here is truly the art. Totally. It, it's the art. Of it. and, exactly. and we're talking about, not, it's not about the gear, but when you start to have knowledge of gear, like the LA-2A, I'm telling you, I don't know what the fuck it's doing. Once it gets <laughs> into that never ending, yeah. it, it can do it at 2 dB. It doesn't have to be at 10 like it just never makes it back to zero. That's magic. But then also have the knowledge of what your stock digital compressor does when you have to the microsecond variability, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, you, you're bringing up a great point that, you know, gear, it's not about the gear, but it is in about the gear in that um, when I'm thinking about developing emotion in my mix and providing a feeling, I have this toolkit that is in the back of my brain of 60 different plugins or 60 different compressors that I know that each one of those things, what they do well. And the only way that I know that is I've experimented with gear for a lot of years and been like, well, let me try putting something through this. Oh, you know what? That does something really well. And so I kind of have this library in the back of my head that I access every once in a while in regards to the emotion of the mix. So when I say, you know, gear isn't important, it is important. You need to know I have this toolkit that I can grab from um, and you should be experimenting with all kinds of different plugins and, you know, whatever you get your hands on so that you can develop your own, you know, library of, of things to grab when someone says, hey, I'm looking for, such and such. I, I can't think of an example right now, but I'm looking for something that pushes the vocal way forward. You can go, I know exactly what, know what tool will do that. Um, something I wanted to get back to as far as um, time and compression is that think about um, placing the transients of things so that they're not on top of each other. Right. Yes. So when a kick drum happens and at the point of a kick drum is say this point in time, I want to make the point of the bass guitar not be exactly in that same point. I want it to be a little bit over here if mm -hmm. we're talking about time. Um, right. And compression is the way that you do that, right? Like changing the attack time of the bass guitar to make the transient be a different place than the exact time that they played with the kick drum. You know, the, the bass guitar is locked into the kick drum and that's great, but by shifting the transient just a little bit with the compression, um, mm -hmm. man, you can make, 
feeling happen. And this is, I'm, we're talking about, this is like advanced level. This is along the same lines I think we spoke about before about creating depth and 3D-ness in a mix and height. Like height is the hardest for me uh, to try to figure out um, yes. how to, yeah. you know, left and right, I can figure that out. That's pretty easy placement wise. Depth is a little bit harder. Um, you know, we, I, I do that a lot like with EQ. Um, mm -hmm. um, making something less sparkly has the appearance of it being further away, right? Right. So um, sometimes it's weird. It's like sometimes I choose certain microphones to not be super full range on mm -hmm. purpose because I want, I know that I'm going to place that thing depth wise in my mix deeper. Yep. Um, so for instance, like background vocals, the, 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 um, the microphone choice on a background vocal, I might not choose to be that super crispy lead vocal thing. I want it to be more have, you know, a little bit duller and a little bit, um, have a characteristic of it being uh, a little bit duller because I know that in my mix, I'm going to place those backgrounds in a depth way further away from me. Um, get it. So those, those are, um, advanced uh, higher level thinking when you're mixing, um, uh, on top of the balance, you know, um, all of these things are like constantly what's going on inside of my head. And I know for you too, um, height, I have trouble with like trying to get that. Cause that um, speaks to the headroom and that's why it's crazy. Like you've talked about classic records. You talk about classic records a lot. Like, and I just saw where Off the Wall is 39 years old this week or 40, some, you know, Quincy wow. Jones. Man, listen to that shit. It, the snare yeah. drum is 30 feet tall. But, he's, but they're working within the same dynamic range that we have now, you know? Yeah. So that's where, how do you make something have, yeah, that, that's, that's the, the, the height. That, that's, that's very, very difficult. I, I didn't mean to sidetrack you there. No, 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 no but, not at all. Not at all. I was going to say, what you're talking about is, you know, like we've talked about side chaining that you and I don't do a lot of side chaining. It's just not, again, unless you're doing EDM when it's specifically for this like sucking pumping sound. But, and I think it's because maybe not that we're dinosaurs, but we came up on a time when people weren't side chaining a lot, like side chaining the bass to the kick to make the kick poke. Like we were using either EQ or dynamics. And so oh. that's like, these are, these are ways of doing that to figure out who has the leading edge. Who's, who's the leading edge on this? It's so funny you mentioned this. Today I was driving down the road thinking about snares and overheads. And I was thinking about how it's cool when you've got an overhead sound that's like full of snare. But, that can, but aside from the fact that you'll have too much snare than cymbals, that's also how you're like, why am I clipping? Why am I clipping? And it's, that, it's the summation of the two. You kind of need to make, again, it's all about summation. How are these things going to all live together? And if everything's fucking four to the floor right from the jump, it's just going to be too much. So you've got to kind of shave the edges off of some things, make other things a little pointier, you know, and that's what's going to build your, that's what's going to, that's what's going to make the, that's what's going to build your house, you know? It's, you know, uh, like we've said on here a bunch of times, it starts with the source. The best case scenarios are the guys that, uh, musicians that have honed their craft and honed their instrument um, to have a tonality about it. Um, that is amazing. But past that, it's your job as an engineer to, to get emotion from a mix um, these are some of the tools that you could do, like, you know, manipulating, um, you, you know, manipulating the, the, uh, the point of a kick drum to be a little bit off of where the bass guitar is, or, you know, vocals even, you know, having a faster attack than you would normally. All of those things matter. Like they all, it all matters and it all changes the feel of things. Um, and so I guess I, I can't, you know, we've talked about in the past about you guys, you know, getting a, a third octave EQ and just learning ear training about EQ and ear training about frequencies and training yourself. What's that? But I think it's equally as important to learn about compression because it's, it matters so much in mm -hmm. time domain. 
mm-hmm. you know, and people don't think about that, you know, uh, that, that um, you know, the time domain is, can be altered using compression. Yep. And you'd be surprised how many people don't. I have a very, 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 very good friend who is a successful engineer as you can get on this planet. And I swear to God, he would, would have no opinion on any of this. And yet somehow he pulls it off. I mean, every compressor is set to stun. It is set to fastest attack. The release is just whatever it was on. And somehow he pulls it like, you know, somehow he'll pull it off. Um, That's but, really interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, listen, there are a million different ways to get there. Um, you and I are sharing. And part of what we love about each other is that we are pretty similar. We're similar, but we get there in different ways. Yes. Um, but we are similar. Like, you know, we are not that the guy that you just described. No. Um, but somehow he's able to pull that off. So what? Why? How are we to say? I know. I know. It's almost just like an anecdote of saying you don't have to be this, and there's beauty in that. Like that's the kind of guy that just walks up and just does it, and everything's wrong, and everything's <laughs> clipping, and blah 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 blah, and they laugh yeah. all the way to the bank. And I mean, you can do that. You can be that. I think what, and that's why I think that's also what's resonating with this whole thing we got going on here and people is that we like I have to know the why in it you know I like I'm very I don't want to say I'm a cerebral mixer but I am I think about how we're going to get there and why we're going to get there and I and but I also oftentimes am surprised at the things that work I'm like huh that doesn't necessarily make sense but like I struggle with like um when it comes to compression on keys I have several different theories on the best way to do keys and it is all dependent on the song and what we're trying to convey. Like, do I want that piano to have attack? Do do I want it to have attack or do I want it to sit there? And that's when you get into really fine line stuff, but at least I know, okay, if I want it to do this, I'm going to do this. And if I want it to do this, I'm going to do this. So, you know, again, we're encouraging you guys and gals out there to, you know, hone that toolkit and your, your knowledge base. So, so that you can, you can do these things. Yeah. I think keyboards are some of the hardest, you know, they have, it's like, so their frequency spectrum is so wide. It takes up so much of your mix, like trying to figure out where all that lies. And it's like some of the hardest things to get right. A million things. It can mean a super dynamic piano or it can mean a move. That's just this block of power that you're like, you know, it can be, it's, oh man, those are the, those are the hard, to me, that's the hardest stuff. Acoustic guitars yeah. and key. That's the hardest stuff. Yeah, it totally oh. is. Totally is. Um, yeah. So, um, one of the things I also was thinking about, and you kind of touched on it earlier, which was the, um, you know, getting so focused on a single thing in your mix. And, I, and I've kind of like overanalyzed how, I work and I'm curious Mm. to know maybe what your thought process is, but I feel like, like if you could see inside my brain, (laughs) which you don't want to go there, but if you don't want to get there, you definitely don't want to go there. But (laughs) if you could see inside my brain as to how I'm thinking about things, um, it would be like a, uh, one of those kind of Hitchcock movies in the sense of zooming into something and then zooming out yep. to the big picture, right? And then zooming out a- again to w- one little section of what I've got going on with my balance and my mix and then zooming back into the uh, hi-hat, for example, focusing on that in a minute and then zooming back out. Like that is, I- I've thought about this a lot. Like that is my how I operate. Like, you know, I focus on one thing and I think it's a lot of the reason secret to my success is that I am able to pick something individually out of 125 inputs. I'm able to pick that one thing out, listen to it for a second and then ignore it. And now listen to the whole big picture again. But it's a Mm -hmm. constant for me. It's a constant zoom. Like if you could see inside my brain, it's like, whoop, I'm looking at the hi-hat now. Now I'm looking at the drum kit. Now I'm looking at the drum kit with the bass guitar. Now I'm looking at the drum kit, bass guitar, and the, and the things. And ignoring, for instance, you know, like when I'm only looking at the drum kit and the bass guitar, I'm ignoring everything else. Like I'm not even paying attention to what's happening with guitars and keys and vocals. And like I don't even, I don't even hear it really. 
I am like mm-hmm. so focused on like what's happening with the snare drum and the bass guitar. Um, so tell me, is that, is that kind of how you operate or, or yeah. is there something different going on? There's a few similar, there are a couple different versions. I can tell you this. If anybody ever happens to come to show and they see me sitting there like this and I'm at the center section and I'm doing this, that looks like he's bored. He's pissed. That's the best you could possibly see me. Cause what that means is I have one hand on the VCAs and I'm just moving. I'm just moving faders and I'm so incredibly okay with where we are that I'm just, I'm just pushing stuff back and forth. Like I'm, I'm calm, feel good about all the tonal choices that have been made. That is rare. Um, but that is true. And I've had artists tell me, they're like, God, you look so bored out there. I'm like, that's a good thing. That's the <laughs> best way you can see me. Cause that means I'm just sitting there hitting my marks and enjoying the shit out of life. You know, most of the time, the way it works, and it's funny you brought this up, I have an overactive mind. That is an understatement times a bazillion. I like think every never, mixer is an ADHD kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It never stops. It yeah. just never fucking stops. What's good about live sound for me is I have to focus. I have to make decisions. It's happening now. There's no running away. There's no hitting pause. It has to happen. Chris, you've got to fucking make a decision. So live sound kind of forces me to center. You like it or not. And there's, there's, there's definitely the side of me when I'm in the best place that I can be within me where it's just that. It's hyper-focus. And then I pull back to the big picture, which oftentimes is coupled with stepping away a little bit. But in doing that, I too, I'll hyper-focus on something. And I do, it's like, and it's not so much that I think we tune everything out. We just know where it is. So we can kind of take a break and go, no, I know I'm good. Like, I don't know about you, but I can mix a guitar solo while I'm working on something else. You totally. know what I mean? Or a key solo, whatever, or a vocal part. I mean, I just know what to do, but I'm actually working on something else. And then I zoom back and look at the big picture. But the, the reason that I think this is so funny is last weekend or two weekends ago or something, I'm sitting at, one of my new COVID gigs, which is sitting in a field for the Watkinsville First Baptist Church, which apparently now services are moving back inside as well. Okay. But um, I'm sitting there and it's like a cello, a mandolin, an acoustic guitar, a piano, whatever, something. It's not like whatever. That kind of stuff's tough to me, you know, because it's like, what's the anchor? What's the bait? Like that kind of totally. shit's hard. And I'm sitting there and at one point in time, I'm thinking, 50 billion different things, but the recurring thought is this is not good. I'm not happy with this. And then next thing you know, like a minute and a half later, I just kind of snap out of it. But the whole time I've been moving, the whole time I've been doing stuff. And then I was like, oh no, that's pretty good. And it was almost like I didn't even know how I got there. Sure. Like the whole, because it's so busy in my head, but it's always so busy in my head, but it's so busy in my head, but I have to do things <laughs> like that's why I'm there and I'm just reacting. And then I'm like, Oh, that's good. Okay. Just leave it for a minute. You know? So there's that's that perspective, side. right? That's per- perspective of what's happening. So it's either very analytical or it's just extremely reactive. But when I say reactive, it's reactive coupled with experience. So yes. that I am making moves and almost robotically, you right. know, and but the, the point that I decide it's good is this pullback moment. I'm like, does that sound like music? Does that feel like, well, shit, man, taking us to the beginning of this video, does that feel like balance? Yeah. You know, and that's such a good feeling to be like, wow, yes, it does. And sometimes I kind of don't even know how I got there, you know? So, yeah, it's very similar up here. I have a few different versions of how it works, but it's, it, it's very similar in, in that you know, in, in the implementation of these thoughts. I yeah, say. yeah, 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 totally. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just weird. It's like I've thought a lot about how I get to where I am. And, and you, um, you brought up a really good point. And this is why I don't really understand how people adjust their mix day to day as opposed to adjusting the speaker system day to day. And the reason is, is that for months I have 
focused in on whatever it is, like talking about the mandolin or whatever, you know, and like made minute adjustments to finally get it to a point where it's like, okay, so finally it's now working in my mix. Mm -hmm. And so everything that's happening in my mix is so precarious. <laughs> yes. Like the little minute adjustment is going to make that thing not be cool anymore. Mm -hmm. When you talk to someone that says, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I adjust all kinds of things in my mix, depending on what day I am on a, on a pair of speakers. It makes no sense to me because I've uh, spent all of that time to get it right, to live within my mix. Right. Right. It just like too much work. Like, what are you aiming? I, I, what? I don't get it. I mean, it used to be that way, right? Like, you know, we, I, I know when I used to mix, you know, bands and clubs and whatever, and I would to drastically change what was happening in my mix um, because the speaker systems weren't that great. Anyway, it was literally like trying to figure out how to get clarity and intelligibility out of the vocal enough on top of the you know million db guitar amp that's coming off the stage right. um you know that's a different thought process um yeah. but nowadays with speaker systems being so good and even clubs nowadays have these amazing speaker systems you know house of blues and um and all that kind of stuff the what happens in your mix is so much more important and to me so much so precarious and it's when i get when so when one of those things gets out of whack, um, that's when I get super frustrated and have to spend a bunch of time with virtual playback earlier on in the day because I'm like, mm. man, that thing is just not what it was and I can't figure out what it is. Um, and right. I'll chase something, an individual thing for hours, you know, to try to get it back into the scope mm. of what's happening. Um, right. So I just thought it was interesting though, you know, I've analyzed a lot of how I work and, you know, like we've said on here, it's like, you know, take whatever you want out of this. It, I'm just sharing with how my brain works. I'm not saying that's mm -hmm. the best way. That's just a way. Um, but, um, you know, as it turns out, most of the time we, both of you and I tend to agree <laughs> on those, yeah. those kind of things. Um, I'll tell you something I just along the, just in this discussion, something I wanted to point out. <clears throat> I used to feel better about burying things in a mix and as time has gone on I don't quite feel that way and of course even in saying that I'm like Jesus this is 30 minutes of conversation what I mean is it, it, it's twofold one one area where we're kind of screwed is in live sound there's the visual and it sucks to have somebody up there hitting a percussion player and you don't hear it. And you don't hear and, it. That's and the you're worst. kind of, and even if it's like kind of sucks, you're like, fuck, but he's there. You know, I need to put it in there. So there's yeah. that aspect of it. Then there's the, like, everything should matter. And again, because in, and I mean, everything instrumentation wise, if it's, it should have a role. That's right. Um, That's right. But again, in live sound, we have compromised dynamic range or signal to noise, again, signal to noise, not necessarily dynamic range. We have greater dynamic range than our studio counterparts do often, but our signal to noise is smaller. So at the point that you're putting something here, that might work on the board tape or the studio mix, but it doesn't work in the room. Like we kind of don't have the depth. And then, but you start getting into other things, whereas, you know, maybe that thing I'm talking about flat out doesn't even need to be played, but it's the fourth guitar player who on this song plays a keyboard because they don't want him to leave stage. So there's, there's all these things that go into it. Or I've had this happen many times where there's a part where like the band wants to listen and they're jamming and the artist comes in, they're like, lose that shit. Well, who's doing that? That's terrible. Duck that. And you're like, fuck. All right, here we go. All Let's right. start playing this, you know, but, um, but yeah, like, T tucking things or ducking things. First of all, if it's happening, it should matter. If it's a bad part, then it's an arrangement problem. Then that pisses me off. Cause that's kind of somebody else sort that out, you know, cause I've got to deal with it. The other thought in all of this is, and I've mentioned on here before, a lot of times there's a difference between tucking something and muting something. Cause when you tuck it, 
you put it, it's still part of that. Again, we're cooking. It's still in there. Like it's still doing something. Only now it's not clear what it's doing. It's just sure. a problem yeah. somewhere in there. It's now like this low mid gunk that you don't quite know where it is. So yeah. um, again, it's the visual that makes me want everything heard all the time, but it's also the, well, it should matter. It's being done. You know, we could do it, but, but sometimes talked, that's not. We've talked a lot on here before about how our role um, as a live sound engineer is akin to being a producer um, in the sense of in an arranger. Um, because those are discussions that I have had certainly with a lot of my artists about, you know, hey, that thing that so-and-so is playing is also happening in the playback. And the fact that they are not playing exactly in time is not, it's not helping anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't figure out as an engineer where to place that stuff. It just doesn't work. And so that I think what you're talking about is having a discussion as a producer or an arranger guy to be able to have a discussion with the musical director or the artist and say, you know, hey, that's not working and it's forcing me to bury it in the mix and it's and it just doesn't it looks lame and it sounds lame, you know. So let's let's come up with a solution arrangement-wise to try to fix that. So my, you know, I don't know about you, but my solution to a lot of what you just talked about is to try to go to the source and get them to change it. Sometimes you don't win. Like sometimes yep. you, you try and they're just like, nope, that's in there. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have to figure out what to do with it. But, um, but I just wanted to point out that from my perspective, when that happens to me, my initial reaction is not to figure out what piece of gear is going to fix that right. or what, burying that is going to make it better or make it more prominent in the mix. Like my initial reaction to that is to, you know, have a discussion with somebody and say, ah, that part's not working. Right. Um, you know, that can get you into trouble. <laughs> There's people that, that won't have that discussion with you and you have to read the room. You know, we've certainly had those, uh, we've had a couple of those uh, uh, episodes on here talking about reading the room and when to speak and, you know, um, that's when that comes into play. But um, I just wanted to point out that there's there are other solutions than just trying to make something that sounds shitty work in your mix. There's there's a, there's other ways to fix it, right? Right. And that kind of comes full circle back on all this as far as how do we go about building a mix conceptually before we've pushed anything up, and we can learn the wants and the needs of the artist or the musical director or blah 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 blah. And we can take all that information, have that information, kind of formulate a game plan. Then we have to assess the performance. And it's those two things that I go, okay, I have this information. And then I have this information. You know, I have to have this information and then I have these things. Between those two, what am I doing? You right. know, hopefully those two line up. Hopefully the, the, the theory and the practice of what's coming off the stage lines up and then you really can you've already thought about it you know what you want to do when they don't line up that's when all the gear in the world doesn't fucking matter you know in totally. and, and that's when that's when it's decision time and or acceptance time yeah you know and that's totally. that's a that's a whole other thing so yes uh you know one one other last thing here we've, we've come up on our time here but um one last thing that I heard uh, Jack Joseph Puig say, uh, and I've heard him say it before, is that it's only just recent. Now, we're talking about a guy that's been making records since 1982, um, big records, huge records. Um, and mm -hmm. he has said that only recently has he discovered that trusting his instinct uh, leads to success. So... Um, I just thought that that was a really interesting thing in that you should trust your instincts. Like you're usually when I, um, my first thought process of how to make something better in a mix is usually the thing that I land on after messing with it for two hours. <laughs> I usually right. kind of come back to the first instinct that I had as to mm -hmm. what should happen to that thing. And so I, I thought that was a really interesting comment as well is that, you know, trust your instincts. And if you, um, you know, your, your experience and your instincts should tell you uh, right away how to, how to fix things. I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah. That is, it, it, it's kind of surprising to hear him say that because it's like, yes, do that, you know, yeah. but, but it's even easier to second guess your instincts. And it, right. it, a lot of times too, we feel like we need to, like I say that this is a problem I see big time in pop music where there's this culture that if you're not working frantically, you're not working hard. Right. And that's, I don't see that in other genres. I see very calculated experience-based decisions and yeah. processes, you know? And so the same thing can happen where if you like, if you pull up an input and you've got three thoughts and you perform those three thoughts, it's like, was that really it? Shouldn't yeah. I have to work on this more? And sometimes you're like, well, surely that can't be right. And it goes back to your thing of the like reassessing on a nightly basis. How many times do you reassess every goddamn night and come back to the exact same spot? Oh, man. Same thing in playback, same thing. It's like, at a certain point, you know, and then it's just, it is what it is, you know? So, um, but yeah, your instincts will guide you for sure. Totally. And, but what you described that whole chasing your tail the entire time is also what makes you good. Um, mm -hmm. it's also because yes, there are times where we end up right back where we are. And you know, that may happen the majority of the time we end up right back where we are, but it's the times when we don't end up right back where we are and we improve it just this yes. little bit. Um, yep. that makes, um, you know, that makes you a, a better mixer than so-and-so it's that you're never going to let it beat you, man. You keep working on it. Um, you know, it's the hardest thing for me is, um, I don't understand how um, mixers uh, that release records know when they're done. Like, how do they know oh, when oh. something's done? <laughs> I, I don't. Whenever I, I mix a record, I always, like, I'm telling you, when I hear something, a record that I worked on in the 90s that is on the radio today, and if I'm driving down the road and that song comes on, I listen to it and I go, man, <laughs> that one thing. I yeah. wish I could fix, you know? Um, and that's part of what makes life sound so much fun is that, you know, it's a battle every night and we keep chipping away at it during a tour. Um, uh, and so much so I even, you know, um, I don't know if we've talked about this, but like I will chip away at something and feel like I've gone in the wrong direction and recall a show from six shows ago. Oh, definitely. To start again. It's almost like rebalancing. Well, it's inevitable. And we've talked about hurting those cats, which just all goes back to turn the bass up a little. Oh, yeah. that 2 dB bump just set everything off. Yeah. And so you got one of two ways. Either it's coming back down or everything else is coming up. It has to figure out a way. Yeah, it has to figure out a way. Now, what about um, this? What about the emotional roller coaster of a set list? No. As far as like, fuck, that one's coming up. God damn it. Every night I struggle with it. And then you hit the one that's just like, it's so easy. And you, no matter what venue in you're showing off every oh, night, man. you know, it's like, yeah. it is such a, Oh God. You they're know, so funny. There's uh there is one song and I won't tell you what song it is, but there's oh, I'm thinking one of song right now. Um, love man, the world. There's I'm one like, song in Iron Maiden that I get to every night. Cause you know, they've been playing the same set list for three years now or whatever. They do three years of, you know, the same, basically the same set. Um, and then, you know, do it's a record cycle, um, of the right. same set. So I get to that same song every night and just go, and go. it's not that it's horrible. It's that it's, you nope. know, I mean, it's nobody else is, nobody else is noticing what I'm noticing, but, but literally I get to that song every night and just go, what is it about this? I can't get it. You know, I know, so, I know, man. Anyway, I know. Cool. Yep. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please tell all your friends, tell them to subscribe and um, be safe out there. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming. All right. See you, everybody.